Welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. This is John Murphy. It's my pleasure to welcome to this podcast Dr. Alan Wells. Dr. Wells is a professor of pathology and executive vice chairman of the Department of Pathology at the University of Pittsburgh. In addition, Dr. Wells has academic appointments in bioengineering and computational and systems biology at the university. He also serves as a staff physician at the Veterans Administration Medical Center in Pittsburgh. Dr. Wells, welcome. Thank you. So, Dr. Wells, I know that you have a number of pioneering studies underway, one of which relates to engineered tissues. Can you give us some highlights of that particular program? We have been interested in studying why cancer disseminates because it is the metastatic cancer that kills you. And that is a very rare event when the cancer cell can escape from its primary tumor, which we normally cut out in solid tumors, such as lung, breast, colon, prostate, melanoma, the big killers, and goes to a foreign tissue where it sets up a distant colony in a foreign island of cells surrounding it. It is rare for those cells to actually survive long enough to make a metastasis, but it's very important because once the metastasis becomes clinically evident later as a aggressive outgrowth, that's what leads to the mortality. And that is those metastases are by and large not amenable to surgical removal like the primary tumor is and actually appear to be relatively treatment resistant even with newer immunologic treatments. It's very difficult to study rare events at the cellular and molecular level so we have taken the approach that the only way to study it at the earliest phases where the cells gain access to tissues, the foreign organs, and grow is to use engineered organs. As you know from a lot of work done by other members of McGowan and within the regenerative medicine field, there has been a explosion of ability to create many organs in engineered bioreactors or microphysiologic systems to recapitulate the human organ function on a chip. It's sort of an organ on a chip. And that has allowed investigators at McGowan through the years to study things such as joint development, bone formation, liver function, toxicology, seeing how drugs are metabolized because we can make these organs from all human tissue. We have used these organs to study the events in tumor metastasis. So we have used complex liver tissues on a chip that were first developed by Linda Griffith and her colleagues at MIT and are now being similar organs are being used by Lance Taylor and Mo Ibrahim Kani 
at the McGowan Institute, as members of the McGowan Institute at Pitt, to study the functioning of liver, we use the liver to study tumor metastasis in getting fresh tissues from Pitt's biorepository services, getting fresh tumors and fresh tissues to recreate a liver and then to have primary human tumor cells infiltrate that liver. That's been very exciting because what we found is that the tumor cells undergo many, many different changes when they go into the liver tissue organ. And the changes are the reason that they are relatively resistant to chemotherapy, why drugs don't work, and why they even escape the immune response that would not allow a tumor cell in an organ by becoming immunologically silent. So Dr. Wells, you talk about organs on a chip. Are these organs capable of performing place of a native organ? So these organs on a chip are very much replicate the native organ and their functions. And they replicate the native human organs in their structure to the extent available. Obviously, we don't have the full body and the outside, but in our liver, we have vascular line channels. We have all of the different cells, not just the hepatocytes. We have the specialized cells that line the liver, the sinusoidal endothelial cells that are liver specific. We have regular endothelial cells. We have the Kupfer cells, the stellate cells, and we have the native immune cells of the liver. So we have a replete liver in terms of human tissue and human cell types. Work published by Linda Griffith in establishing the model that we use shows that it has all of the normal liver metabolic functions, liver metabolism of drugs, and the response to drug metabolism. Lance Taylor uses a slightly different liver, but it is fully functional from the perspective of all of the metabolism, the drug metabolism, and the response to the drug metabolism. The model we use because it's more amenable to be infiltrated by tumor cells where they undergo a dormancy, a rest, where they lose their aggressiveness in response to signals from the liver. So we've tackled why do cells gain the ability to live in a foreign tissue, the liver? which happens to be the tissue that is most often colonized by metastatic tumor cells. It's the tissue that when you have evident metastases, it is the worst prognosis. And it's also the liver that the organ does most of the drug metabolism to alter the chemotherapies and immunotherapies we use to treat cancer. So we can study both development of metastases, outgrowth of metastases, and 
drug efficacy and toxicity in this organ. Dr. Wells, this is very fascinating. Where does that lead us in terms of potential therapies? At this point, we've been studying metastatic tumor in the liver somewhat in isolation. This is a bioengineered artificial liver, which has appropriate flow, oxygenation to support this tissue as freestanding with all of the right properties of the liver to replicate. And we've been looking at mainly breast and melanoma cancer cells and how they adapt and they undergo very similar adaptations to be able to live in the liver. However, from a clinical perspective, individual cells getting to distant organs is not that infrequent and they mainly die. We have shown that they have undergone changes to be able to survive when they reach these foreign organs as metastases, but they undergo a quiescence and a dormancy. They go to sleep. They're clinically irrelevant. What is important to patients is when these metastases wake up and continue growing, which can be for breast cancer survivors 10, 20 or more years later. So we're now looking at what wakes up these cells. So we found that in the dormant state, they're generally resistant to the therapies we use. But in the aggressive growing state, they've retained some of the therapies. So now we're looking at why do they wake up? And we're pursuing the hypothesis that the reason they wake up is an inflammatory response that creates a lot of active signals that then wake the metastatic cells from their dormant state to go on and now grow out as an aggressive tumor, still somewhat protected by some of the changes they did to adapt to their foreign environment. And what's exciting is we've teamed up with Nancy Albritton, who is now the Dean of Engineering at the University of Washington in Seattle, because she's developed a engineered gut. What most people don't appreciate is our largest inflammatory and immune organ in the body is the GI tract. It's the gut, the small intestine and large intestine. And she's developed a microengineered gut that has immune cells in it and can create all of the inflammatory signals that the normal gut does in response to stressors, harmful microbes, and autoimmune disease. And the signals leave the gut and flow first through the liver and then throughout the body. And we published just this past year that prolonged exposure of one of those inflammatory signals from an inflamed gut can cause the dormant cells to grow out in the liver as an active metastasis and take over in the process of metastatic emergence. So with Amanda Clark, 
an assistant professor in the Department of Pathology and a member of the McGowan. We are pursuing linking up the gut to the liver together in a microphysiome of human tumor behavior. So we now have the liver that has metastases and the gut that's an immunologically inflammatory organ linked together to understand how perturbations in the gut affect dormant cells in the liver and whether that leads to outgrowth and also to query all of the signals to go to understand either which signals to disrupt to prevent this emergence of metastasis or conversely, which signals from the liver are important to keeping any metastatic cells as quiet, dormant, sleeping tumors and just not awakening. And those studies have been initiated to look at making the gut-liver connection to understanding how the signals change. There are publications from Linda Griffith at MIT and her team, including Mo Ibrahim Khan, uh, who's now at Pittsburgh, showing that the inflammatory signals are controlled by both the gut and the liver connected to the gut. There's a bi-directional communication and we're studying how the tumor cells are caught up in that so as to develop new therapies aimed at preventing emergence of metastatic tumor cells. This is fascinating and very significant. But for our listeners who have an interest in the need, I presume it's many years before this might be translated into clinical practice. Is that correct? Overall, yes. As everything in cancer therapy, it's a long and hard slog getting through to prove that it works in persons. However, we feel that this is shorter than most developments. And the reason for that is threefold. Developing a new drug to target any of this is a very long process that in cancer takes over a decade. However, in an intermediate level, if we identify certain inflammatory markers like IL-6 or TNF-alpha or as we've shown, CXCL10, are critical for the awakening, drugs that counter those targets have already been approved for human use. So one can start with a more advanced clinical trial because they've been shown to be useful in humans. They've shown to have the proper non-toxic doses, and you can start those trials by repurposing existing therapies to the survivors of cancer that would take shorter. The concept that systemic inflammation, that a flare-up of autoimmune disease in the bowel, that other diseases 
lead to emergence of metastatic cancers if you have it could change our thinking and our approach to those situations when they arise. For instance, if you have a cancer survivor, you may be more attuned to chronic inflammation, to autoimmune diseases, to treat those more strongly at the beginning instead of living through the flare-ups. So there could be differences in approaches or differences in surveillance for the cancers in those patients that certain people come back for yearly checkups every two years, every six years based on their probability profile of recurrence. This might lead to some people being monitored more intensively so that we can act when a metastasis first appears, where they have the best chance of responding to therapy. The findings from these studies could change how we approach patients. Dr. Wells, thank you for joining us today and sharing with us your pioneering research. Congratulations to you and your team for the progress that's been made. We wish you best success as you move forward with your studies. Thank the McGowan Institute for sponsoring this podcast series. We welcome your suggestions. You can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. Thank you for listening.